someone to get a thumbs up from Max Simon, who is one degree of epicness from the likes of Martha Stewart and another from the Black Eyed Peas. However, Rodolfo Young holds his own amazing company for sharing the stage with the likes of Marianne Williamson, Deepak Chopra and John Gray. Now that's seriously notable. But this story is so much more deeper than red carpet impressions. After graduating the top of his class, Rodolfo signed an eight-year contract with the U.S. military as a Special Operations Army Reserves Officer. He was deployed to different parts of the world, including Iraq, and got to see firsthand what separation consciousness can do to our world. In 1999, he shifted and dived headfirst and heartfirst into his first 10-day silent retreat. It was in that moment that the veil lifted. The clarity, insights and messages he received from that experience were the ones who would seed and take him on a new path. A path that would take him to teaching countless of peoples how to create their best lives. In fact, at the age of 19, he became the first undergraduate at San Diego State University, granted his own classroom. Yep, for an entire year he taught spiritual philosophy where he touched the lives of so many students. You may have seen him on TEDx, dancing around the streets of Bali, or you may have even been lucky enough to experience one of his heart-centered I see you hugs. 
Or maybe you even saw him sharing wisdoms with the Mind Valley crew. Speaking of hugs, here's a fun Rodolfo fact. He has been hired regularly as an official hugger. Yep, that's correct. He's the official hugger for many events, including the Bali Spirit Festival in Indonesia and Global Mala in San Diego. I think he's got the best job in the world. And what's even more amazing than that is this. The idea that love, gratitude, hugs are not only being seen as a global currency, but that we as a planet, as a global tribe of citizens, actually see the value in it and reward it. Now, if that doesn't prick some goosebumps on our evolution, I want to invite you to think about this. Adolfo has become an expert at helping people just like you connect deeply to your most authentic self, feel safe about sharing your own unique expression, and realize that you have permission to be yourself and people will love you for it. Yes, they will. They really, really will. The only thing that matters is that you are hungry to finally giving yourself to per the permission to receive all the love, gratitude, nourishment that you deserve. And it's just that very thing Rodolfo offers by holding the space for people to express theirs. So, before we get into the speech, I want to share a very special TEDx talk. I always like to begin with a little bit of silence. I began this year actually in 42 days of silence. And it wasn't a meditation retreat. I didn't go up into a cave and sit and meditate on my own. Rather, I was in my general life. I was interacting with people just as I would otherwise. Actually, I was on tour in Australia. And as I traveled and as I connected with different people, the intention of the silent practice was one of deepening my connection, deepening the communication that actually happened. There's this place within us, deep, deep within us, that when we tap into it, when we listen, not with our ears, but with our hearts, we start to feel that authentic core, that place where we all connect, that we all are the same, are complete, are pure. And so as I did this practice, my intention was to listen, to observe, to hold space. While I was doing this, I was allowed to read this beautiful poem, and I'd like to share that with you now. Our first encounter was quite brief, a single breath inhaled. Like this, an angel came to me and changed my entire world. In fact, as I reflect, it dawns on me that I have had countless encounters with graceful beings. I realize I have been surrounded all my life by similar bright lights, these angels simply asking that we trust, that we hear, that we let our hearts shout forth beyond all our fears. They are like a million raindrops falling into a pond, and in the moment of first contact, an expression ripples out. This is connection flowing forth across a million angels' hands. 
So for those of you who know me, you know that everything that I do is always about connection. To me, connection is the significance of life. Because connection is the only thing that's permanent. The objects of connection, the stuff that's at the ends of that connective line, they come and they go. It might be your possessions, it might be your relationships, it might be anything that is an expression that comes into your life, gets expressed, and then moves on. Yet that space in between, that potential for that expression, it remains. And that's what I mean when I say holding space. So we're going to take a journey today. My hope is that this isn't just a talk. My hope is that we connect through this entire experience and that by the time I come off the stage, you feel like a community and a family. Now, I can't say that I always felt this way about connection. When I was younger, when I was in high school and throughout most of my adolescence, I was actually quite afraid to connect. Every time that I had to go and even touch somebody on the shoulder to move past them, I couldn't do it. I felt like I was invading their space. And so I lived most of my life, especially in high school, very lonely. And the funny thing about being lonely is it can only happen when you're surrounded by people and you feel like you're apart from them. So when I finished high school, I decided, okay, I've got to do something to get over this fear of connection. I've got to, to boost my self-confidence and, and move out of this. And so I joined the US military. I was young, you don't think so straight at that time. Well, it did work because by the time I came out of all my training and I started college, I had absolutely no trouble connecting anymore with people. Rather, quite the opposite, I ended up becoming well known as the massage man in my college dormitory. And so, <laughs> I enjoyed that reputation. And one day when I was sitting down at the uh, front desk, because I used to check IDs also, I'm checking IDs and I would just sit somebody in front of me and start giving them a shoulder massage. And I was doing this one day when one of the university officers walked in. And just out of curiosity, he came up to me because he saw this person paying me afterwards. I had started to charge. I made it a business. And he comes up and he goes, oh, where'd you get your license? I kind of looked at him. I was like, license? What are you talking about? And he goes, well, you, you know that you need a massage license to, to charge for money and, and any service that you're touching somebody. I said, oh. And then he also informed me that if you don't have licensing, it's technically prostitution. So business went up after that. And no. <laughs> I decided, okay, I should probably go ahead and get the certification. I thought I was only going to get the lowest certification possible so I could continue my business legally. And uh, I ended up falling in love with it. I continued on. I went to the highest degree of licensing, got certified in 21 plus different modalities, started teaching, opened my own centers in San Diego, started traveling the world, creating websites like Integrated Potential and Community Backstage and these things where the idea was to bring people together in connection because that was something that I had been so afraid of when I was younger. And eventually brought me here to get to speak with all of you and share. So, Here's the question, how do you start to connect? How do you hold that space? Well, the very first thing that you need to do is you need to understand what the art of presence is. Because if you're not present, if you're not actually here, you can't connect. <laughs> it's a logistics thing. So, <laughs> I'd like to share a story with you. The, the very first Buddha, Gautama Sakyas, the original, he exemplifies this idea of presence. You see, after he had already 
built up quite a following and a lot of people knew of him. They had asked him to come and speak and thousands and thousands of followers had come to see him, to hear his wise words. And they built this huge stage for him to go up on and to, to expound his knowledge. And as he stepped up onto the stage, he looked down and on the stairs, he saw a lotus blossom growing and he knelt down and he picked it up. And he went up on stage and without saying a word, he simply sat there twirling it, enjoying it, mesmerized by that moment. And the audience was kind of like, and he continued for a few more minutes, and the audience continued like, and after about 10 minutes, the audience was like, <laughs> until finally he saw one person in the audience that was smiling. And he went down and he handed them the blossom. You see, had his mind been in the past, or actually more so, if his mind first had been in the future in the expectations of what the audience was wanting to hear, he never would have noticed the flower. He would have walked right past it. Had his mind been in the past thinking about flowers he had seen it before, he would have just compared it. The mind is really good at doing this. And he would have seen the flower and gone, eh, hey, flower, I've seen them before. But he was so intensely in the present moment that he picked the flower because it was the only thing of significance, the only connection for him right then. And so that lecture, that silent lecture, because he walked off stage after that, he said nothing, became one of his most famous lectures because he exemplified presence, being in this moment. There's a way that we can all be that moment, that we can all see each other as that flower. Now it takes a little bit more than just presence, because in presence you're there, and that's great, <laughs> but then you have to become aware of what's around you. You have to actually become aware of the potential of expression that's there. I'll give you an example of what I mean by the potential of expression. There was a time back in San Diego when I had my center, I was asked to come and lead a meditation at a festival. There was about 10,000 people, it's a big festival, out in the audience and I stood up on stage and I said, all right, before we meditate, I'd like to breathe with you all. Now when I say breathe, I don't mean just inhaling and exhaling, I want you to actually say breathe with me. And so the audience was kind of nodding their heads, like, okay. So I said breathe and then the audience went, breathe. I said, breathe and the audience was, breathe. It got really boring really fast and so I went, breathe. And the audience was dead silent. I said, great, close your eyes, meditate, you're there. <laughs> what happened is I took away expectation. Because if the mind is full of expectation, full of what they're expecting to do, hear, say, whatever it is, there is no room to actually see and experience what's really there. So there is the art of presence coming into this moment and then there is expressing from that moment, letting that, that thing from deep within bubble up. It's like when you have that authentic laughter, it comes from nowhere, you don't <laughs> it just happens, you don't know what's going on. So bringing yourself into the present moment, Connecting with what's actually happening. And then there's a little bit more. You see, there's this thing about human beings. We have different layers. And within those layers, there are different places in which we get to connect. The first layer 
is what I like to call the mask. Now the mask is essentially the way we present ourselves to everybody. It's the roles that we play, the identities that we have. And this mask, you know, it's, it's the kind of thing that when you're in a heated argument with somebody, and you're sitting there, you're yelling back and forth, and then the phone rings, you're like, oh, hello? No, I can't talk right now. Okay. <laughs> you know, it's that thing that lets you switch back and forth really fast. It doesn't really go in congruency with what you're feeling. That's the first part. And the mask is essentially your body. We go a little deeper and we get to what I call the story. The story is your mind. The story is how you see, see and tell yourself who you are. It's your beliefs, your conditioning, your memories. It's everything that has ever made up who you are. Now, here's the thing about that layer. It's a tricky layer. Because if, let's say you take a, a cup and you start to pour water into the cup. And that water is all the conditioning, all the memories, experiences, things that you've been told, things that you have said, things you believe about yourself, you believe about others. And you start to pour it all into this cup, and it starts to fill the cup up. And then you become identified to those beliefs and all that knowledge, and you think, yes, that is me. Well, that water freezes. It becomes a big frozen block of ice. What happens when you take a big block of ice and you just set it out? It melts. And the thing is, when we get attached to all these things, is we forget the cup was there. We forget there was a container holding the space for us to express and be within. And so instead, the ego, or this identified self, this block of ice, starts frantically looking for more expressions to put and attract and to put into itself so that it exists. Because it thinks, if I melt away, I stop existing. All it is is that we forgot the cup. So how do you define the cup? How do you define this space, this container? You can't. It's nothingness. It is the potential of expression. And so you have to simply hold space for it. This is kind of where the leap of faith, the trust, comes in. I'm going to give you some secrets, though. Because the third level, so we had the first level, the body, the mask. We had the second level, the mind, the story. The third level is this place that is the cup. It's that place from which all expression comes up. So this third level, you could call it soul, you can call it the divine, you can call it your essence, your driving force, Wilbur, whatever you want to call it, you can call it that. And recognize that when you reach that place deep within, there is a resonance, a connection that already happens because that same place that's really deep within you is the exact same place that's in every single other person. Have any of you ever heard of sympathetic resonance? It's this idea or theory that things will vibrate at the same frequency if they are in close proximity. So if you, and they've actually done experiments with this, if you take a violin and you start to play one string, and you have another violin tuned to the exact same you know, tightness on the strings and all that, and you have it nearby, as you start to play on the one violin, the other violin starts to vibrate on the same string. It's the same for us. When we hold ourselves in that place of authentic expression, in absolute presence, and we're just there, we start to vibrate in this certain way that attracts the same authenticity from other people. So here's the secret backdoor to getting that authentic connection, because normally you would have to go through the mind and through the body. And the mind and the body are like these clouds up in the sky that kind of create these memories and thoughts and all this stuff to get in the way. So the secret is, one, let it rain. When it rains, most people, they seek cover. They put an umbrella up. They're like, eh, 
get wet. Now the umbrella is like your shell, it's your identity, it's your way of saying, no, I'm quite happy my, with my reality, don't take that away from me. But the rain just comes down and it washes away what was there, it takes you to the deeper levels, it shows you the truth beneath. So you let it rain, you put the umbrella down. That's the first step, that's the art of presence. By putting the umbrella down, you let go of all the ego and the identities and the attachments and you start to see the world. The second step is to express that so you start to dance in the rain, let yourself just go wild, allow that rain to move you, the moment to move you. The third step, and this is where most people kind of go astray, is they're so happy and so uh, elated from what they experience that they go running to everybody else who has an umbrella and they go, come, you have to dance in the rain with me, come, put that down, put that, come, and the person's like, no, no, I like my umbrella. You see, you can't do it that way because the second you go to them saying, no, this is the truth, you have to see it, you've put an umbrella back up. Here's the secret. You go to them, you've put your umbrella down, you're fully present, you're expressing your authenticity, and you go to them and you step underneath their umbrella. And you're there, absolutely enjoying their presence, who they are, their essence. You go with interest and gratitude, not an agenda of change. So I'd like to give you that experience. If you come to the edge of your seats, <laughs> and I want you to look to your right at the person that's there, and then I want you to look to your left at the person that's there. <laughs> if there's not a person, imagine a person there. <laughs> look back straight forward, take a deep breath. Exhale. Look to your right again. Look to your left. This is so entertaining. Look back forward. Inhale. Exhale. And notice at the very point that your inhale and your exhale meets, there is a seed of inspiration. There is a place deep within you and that place starts to grow. Let it start to rise up in you and as it rises up, let it take the corners of your lips upward and out. This is an ancient technique. I call it smiling. Let it go all the way up, start to look around again, you'll notice that when you practice this and you look around, it grows. You can't help it, don't try. And if there's anything that you take from this talk today, please take this smile. Because if you go out into the world and you show your authentic self, your beauty, who you really are through that smile, not just through your mouth, but through your eyes and every gesture that you make and the presence that you have, you'll invite others to do the same and we can change the world. Are you ready to meet this international author, speaker and heart coach Rodolfo Young? Are you ready to answer the question or even ask, what would happen if one million people around the world began to open and live from their hearts? Well, here's the man of the hour, Rodolfo Young, the founder of Inspire One Million Hearts. It is so great to have you on the Supernova Summit, specifically the Global Movement Summit. Thank you. It's good to be here. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I've just been following your story, and it really is so inspiring. You, you've got one million, one of the one million right here. <laughs> just like really supporting all the work that you're doing and this amazing evolution that you've been doing. and 
one of the themes that really came up for me is in your story, just this whole idea of kind of going into the silence and then moving beyond that because even just with the summit, it's been so interesting to see the kind of people who have come on board and, and wanted to speak into their story and mm -hmm. phenomenal stories that really, really great. But a lot of them, you could almost hear the anger and the mm. and the fact that they just wanted to pick a fight and they just really wanted to stand their ground and stand their power. And mm -hmm. of course, there are a lot of movements that come out of that. And there are a lot of people revolting against those kinds of experiences. But what you're doing is so very different from that. And I think that's the way to really make a movement. That's the way to really inspire change. I it's not so. about how different we are, but how we actually come together. So what kind of inspired this whole thing for you? Well, uh, there's multiple answers to all of that. Obviously, <laughs> the, the year in silence, which you've uh, referenced, that for me was a personal practice. I, I went into it because I needed my own deep healing. And mm. when I did, what I discovered wasn't just a healing process for myself, but it was a healing process for those around me, those who interacted with me, who were in relation to me. And I started to realize what was happening is that my going into my own heart space, and I define that simply as the space in which I'm accepting myself where I'm at and then giving myself permission to move from there. And when I would drop into that heart space, it's like I started to give permission to those around me to do the same. Mm. And I just started to see the, the ripple effect and the influence it was having both on my life and those around me. And that's what inspired me to, to move forward and say, well, I want to do this for a million lives, for a million people and a million hearts. Yeah. Um, I'd say the difference in how I'm approaching it, where like you're saying, there's, there's people who get real passionate about a cause or a way of doing something, or let's say a, a perspective. And because of it, they go almost in a battle-like mode. They're going, okay, we're going to bring down the evil doers and the big brothers and the governments and the you know big business or whatever it is, and bring this idea of consciousness or presence or the right way to do it. And I learned a long time ago when I had probably my first big epiphany and aha moment, I had kind of woken up, it felt like, like I was seeing the world through new eyes, and the first thing I want to tell everybody how they should be seeing the world. <laughs> <laughs> and I realized, oh, that's me having adopted a new truth and thinking that it should be everybody's truth. Hmm. When really, the way I see the world now is that, you know, I, I almost look at it like an umbrella world. You know, you think about when it rains, what do most people do? they seek an umbrella, they seek cover, they don't want to get wet because the rain, the water comes and it washes away the facade. I don't know about you, but there's something about his energy that reminds me of this guy. Do you feel that too? Don't see it? That's okay. But maybe you will after I share this quote. It's a parting thought from Rodolfo. And he says, we each speak of wholeness, unity, and community, and yet we meet under separate roofs, harbor our ideas and insights, and fear the competition of those who are sharing similar service and purpose. It is time to pull our resources, to come together in our vision, 
to see and share gratitude for each other's beauty. It's not only a certain action we must take to change the world. We simply need to shift our perspective, our consciousness, to recognize that change is already happening. Beautiful, Rodolfo. That gives me such goosebumps. And I think it puts everybody on the spot for really talking their talk and walking their walk. Because it's so easy to say we do, but yet if, as you say, we meet under separate roofs, harbor our ideas, then how exactly are we doing just that? While everyone else is fighting wars on battlefields in corporate offices or social political constructions, or even in the corner of our own minds, nothing happens right. It's just the same old, same old, with a new haircut and the latest color palette, you know, whatever's trending. Here's a big takeaway that Rodolfo brings to the Global Movement Summit. And that's the conversation that it's not about a revolution. No matter how sexy or easy it is to brand that, everyone else is talking about revolutions. The real choice here is to be in evolution. Conscious, purposeful evolution. And with that, I would like to close off this segment with the first words that he spoke after six months of a profound, complete, deepened silence. It was in that moment when he broke through his silence, choosing to move through it into the amplification and the birth of his movement. So here he is talking about the beginner's heart. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
curious, I think, is the character of the beginner's heart. Curious not in the sense of how expectations are fulfilled or how people might react, but that's the mind. But rather curious of the moment, of what might come up. My commitment tonight, and what I would like to do for you tonight, is to sing a song, a melody, that is more than verses, but is rather resonant chords being plucked from the heart. And as I do that, most if not all of what I say will be coming straight from the heart, not from my mind. I've noted a couple little points over the weeks of what I wanted to share, but other than that, all of this will be new to me as it's new to you. And that's important because it keeps me curious too. And if I'm going to give you a talk on the beginner's heart, I need to be there. So a couple things about this talk. This is going to be more than just me lecturing to you. I want this to be a journey between us all. As I just said, I don't know where we're going to go. <laughs> all I know is where we're starting from and where I hope we end, which is in the heart. So as we progress, as questions are asked, as answers are given, as exploration happens, come with me. See what comes up in your own body, in your own mind, in your own heart. And let's just see what manifests, what gets to express. Hmm. Another characteristic of the beginner's heart, gratitude. And I have amazing gratitude right now. I'm actually on the verge of tears holding it back <laughs> because of this showing of support of awesome community. Thank you. And I'm grateful that I can speak. <laughs> I'll be very honest with you, these are not my absolute first words today. Today was the first day that I spoke in six months. But my first words were to my mother in this morning via Skype, who I haven't gotten to speak to verbally, vocally, in six months. So I called her up, and she didn't know I was calling. <laughs> she didn't even know I had her phone number. <laughs> I called her up and she answers and she answers in Spanish, who is this? And I said, it's your son. She said, what? Your, your son. What? I love you. <gasps> Those were really my first words. And I could hear not just the gasp, but, but the 
I could hear and feel the resonance of her heart. Because that's what happens when we drop into the beginner's heart, when we get present, when we surprise each other by coming to each other from that place. Is that it automatically drops you in. It takes you out of the mind which is in, full of distractions. And it takes you to this place of utter connection. It's the edge of emotion, the beginner's heart. Curious, grateful, surrendered, open. Over these last six months, as my mind has quieted down, as the monkey inside started to sit and just peel its banana slowly instead of going, As the mind quieted, what was left were those words. Curious, grateful, surrender, beautiful, love, ecstasy, community, connection. The words of complaint, the words of hatred, of disgust, of I can't, of negativity, all these things, they fall away. Because those can only stay if your mind is revolving in them. Your heart doesn't go there. One of the things that I love about giving spiritual talks is that if I pause for a moment and I just look up kind of distant, I'm trying to figure out what to say next. You guys are all thinking, man, he's so wise. Look, he's just like downloading it. <laughs> Only works in this market. <laughs> so, as I, as I continue today, because like I said, I really don't know where I'm going. I am ad-libbing, I'm winging it, and I'm playing off of the energy that you all get to give to me. So there will be time for question and answers, definitely, because I know over six months enough of you have asked me enough questions that I haven't been able to answer, that maybe you've got them saved up. <laughs> and before that time, I'm just going to kind of let the moment take me. I'm going to just share whatever comes through. As I said, tonight's about the beginner's heart. It's about connection. And it's about emptying. Because you can't reach the beginner's heart if you're full. You can't get to the beginner's heart if your canvas is already painted on. You can have the most beautiful painting or you could have a nightmarish painting. Whatever it is, it's just a painting. So I'm going to ask you as we go through this today, is I want you to take whatever your painting is, whatever your definition of life, of love, of connection, of heart, whatever that is right now, I want you to take it, scrunch it up into a little ball, put it in your pocket. You can get to it later. Because today we're going to go together into a new definition. Into something that's felt, not thought. Are you guys with me? Yeah. yeah. Awesome.
So where do we begin? I suppose we can start just with talking a little bit about being in the present moment. It's one of the things that I've loved about being in silence is that it keeps people on the edge of their seats. I've given a few presentations in silence and they've been the best attention that I've had. Normally there's a little bit of distraction, people are talking or they're writing or this or that, but when you're in silence and you're up in front of people, they're like, no, he's, gonna, he's, he's writing something. Even when I'm around town with my little mini iPad, which I've got to notice about that in a moment, when I'm around town, if I take that out, and normally it's just to write myself a note, everybody's like, like private. <laughs> so my life has become very public since I became silent, which is funny. <laughs> so notice on the iPad, so here's what tonight is for me. It's a few things. First, it's my birthday. It marks 200 days that I have been silent. And it's kind of like, like when a whale comes up to the surface to breathe some air before going down even deeper. So after tonight, after immediately after this talk, the mouth closes again for another six months without writing in person. I'll continue to email, Facebook, I run my businesses that way. But in person, conversationally, when I'm in front of you, I don't want to use something in between us. The entire purpose of my going silent was to cultivate a heart expression, a heart language that was beyond spoken words. Now I'm going even deeper so that it's beyond symbols, spoken or written. Because if there's one thing that I have found in these six months, it's that if you just become present with one another, Look into each other's eyes, smile. You need to smile when you're looking because otherwise it's creepy. <laughs> I realize this. <laughs> if you do this, immediately something deep inside goes and says, speak to me, listen to me, hear me, connect with me. That's the beginner's heart. So tonight is about me getting to celebrate my 33rd birthday. It's about me coming up for a breath of air. And it's about getting to share a message that over these last six months just keeps popping up for me. And it's that the heart, beyond anything else, is the most important expression, the most important place of expression that you can have. Not just because it's, you know, the lovey-dovey heart, but because it's pure. The mind, like I said, has all these distractions. It's filled with all this other stuff going on in the world. 
Even in, in modern research, they look and they say that the mind is only a receptor. It doesn't actually have nerves that go out to express. So that's why they can do open brain surgery on you and you don't feel it, there's no pain, because there's no nerves going out of the brain sending signals. Yet we try to communicate and express and connect all the time from the mind. But it's only a receptor. What needs to happen is it comes in here through the five senses, through whatever other areas that you channel in from, and then it comes here and you don't need to say anything. It's felt. It's known. And when you do that, no interpretation gets in the way. One of the questions that's been asked to me while I've been in silence is, how do I do with girls? <laughs> and there's a lot of responses to that, some that aren't appropriate for tonight. <laughs> so the main one is that it actually lets me connect with everybody in a much deeper fashion. There was somebody that I was connecting with a little bit at the beginning of my silence, and we actually had two Skype calls for three hours in silence, both of us. We typed a little here and there, but most of it was just sitting in each other's presence across the world. <laughs> it's possible. One of the things that I find that the mind does is that it's always comparing. It actually comes up beautifully in, in one of the other questions that people always ask me. It's one of two questions. They either say, well, but you're writing. Is that really silence? And that's already a comparison. They're looking at, well, what other models of silence have I looked at? They're not asking, what's this model of silence that this man here presently is practicing? They're comparing. It's the mind. The other question that's often asked is unimportant because I forgot it. <laughs> I love getting to just move with the heart because everything's excused. <laughs> Actually, what's just coming up right now is that I love you guys. I absolutely love every one of you. Each day that I get to come out into town and I'm greeted with hugs, with smiles, sometimes with funny awkward bows, which I go, I'm just silent, I'm not a guru, stop it. <laughs> but I'm so grateful. To me, community and connection is probably the most important thing. One of the things that Jeremiah mentioned when I was in San Diego, I was a public speaker and I was also the founder of an organization and a center called the Center for Connection. Connecting people. Giving a space for it. We didn't have any philosophy or any specific you know, belief system. It was just, hey, we have a space. Come and connect. And even before that, I think connection has been something that's kind of skated its way through my life. Sometimes in fashions that didn't seem like it was the priority. And this, I think, happens a lot. It's when the mind is interfering through conditioning. 
When I was much, much younger, probably all the way up through most of high school, actually, I was actually afraid of connection. I was afraid of contact with people. For any of you who have seen my TEDx talk, I talk about this a little bit. Show of hands, who's seen the TEDx talk? Cool, this will be new to most of you. <laughs> so, I used to be so afraid of contact that I couldn't even touch somebody on the shoulder to, to move around them. I felt like I was invading their space. And I didn't know at the time that it was because I knew the power of connection. Somewhere deep inside me said, when you connect with somebody, it must be sacred every time. That means if you're walking down the street and somebody's across the way, your connection to them must be sacred. If you're in an intimate moment with a partner, it must be sacred. If you're on a phone call with a tele, telemarketer, it must be sacred. No matter who, where, what the connection is, make it sacred. And all that means is be present. Because too often we dismiss what's happening in this moment because we're comparing. Because we're in the mind going, uh, no, that's not what I'm interested in right now. I want to go do this or I want to do that. And we miss something so important that might be happening right now. There was a quote that I'll paraphrase because I can't quite remember exactly how it goes. That to live your life and ever not express something that comes up is to have robbed another of what might have changed their life. You don't know what each moment will mean to each other or to yourself unless you become present to it. And this again comes back to what I'm saying is the beginner's heart. It's being curious, present, and grateful for whatever is being presented. Probably the other thing that I found while I've been silent, this was in the first two or three months, is that when I would communicate with people, especially when I was trying not to use the iPad much, I would say something and some people, I could do a gesture like, and they'd be like, oh yeah, meet at the yoga barn six o'clock for lunch? Okay. I don't know how they got that, but they would. Other people, I could do the most descriptive miming. <laughs> it would be like the Hall of Fame of charades. And they'd be like, what? No, I, get your iPad out. <laughs> and what I found, the reason that was, is because of where they were connecting with me from. If they were connecting from the mind, they had a hard time figuring out what I was saying. The moment they dropped into their heart, they got it like that. Sometimes I wouldn't even need to speak. I've played with a lot of things in these six months, some of it being telepathy, um, even cloud bursting. Did you, have you guys ever seen uh, Men Who Stare at Goats? Remember that scene where George Clooney's like, <laughs> he's trying to burst the cloud? It's real. <laughs> One, I can say it's real, the idea of that kind of a section in the military from the movie, because that's what I was in. I was PSYOP, Psychological Operations. And we did sort of that kind of stuff. And because I've been practicing in silence this intention of connection, this intention of 
moving what's within me out into the world without having to speak it through symbols, I found that doing stuff like bursting clouds is very possible. The funny thing about it is that it doesn't come from the mind because I started doing that at the beginning. At first I was like crunching my, my brow and going <laughs> nothing was happening. And then I started incorporating it into another practice. I would meditate first, I'd do some qigong, I'd do a little yoga, and then I'd get up and just kind of go and I'd look up at a little puff of cloud and just have this intention and I wouldn't think with my mind but I would just sit there and I'd start to feel this resonance in my heart. And all of a sudden the cloud would be like and I would be like oh, nobody was here! <laughs> but the ego is the only one that wants to know that people see it. That's the mind. And what it reminded me of actually, and I think that this cartoon was totally on it way back when, how many of you used to see the Care Bears? Yeah, yeah. Care Bear Stare? And they lived in clouds. Uh-huh. Uh Telling you. So the most miraculous things are possible when you just drop in. When you come into this place of the beginner's heart. I'm not saying the mind is not useful. It's here for a very good purpose. One is to receive knowledge. To receive expression from others. But not to interpret it. Not to express it. It is only here to receive it and send it right here. I'll put a little disclaimer out. Everything that I say tonight, like I said, it's partly my own opinion, but most of it is totally new. It's just coming out of my mouth. I'm kind of standing aside going, ah. So don't take anything as absolute truth. Just see it as it is in this moment. Feel if it applies to you, feel it in your own heart. If it resonates, if it plucks those chords, then live it. Express it yourself. You won't even need to think about it if it actually resonates because that's the beauty of it. It just resonates. You guys hear voices in your head too? Yeah. A lot of people have been asking me, you know, one, do I talk at night to myself or, you know, do I have full conversations in my head? And the truth of the matter is, not really. Because I've been able to stay very social with everyone, because I've gotten to satisfy really the only craving that's there, which is why we often talk a lot, either to ourselves or to others, which is connection, heartfelt connection. Because that's fulfilled, I go to bed, I'm peaceful. I go home, I'm on my own, I'm peaceful. There's not much going on up here. That didn't sound right. <laughs> Told you, just coming out before I can think about it. I'll pause for a moment. Do any of you have questions? And actually, before you ask 
a question. I want to define what I mean by question because I said earlier that we're going to be present, we're going to take a journey, and we're going to be in the heart. So I don't want questions that are coming from the mind, and here's the difference. A question of the mind isn't really seeking an answer, it's seeking confirmation. You see, questions of the mind already have a set of answers that apply, and you're looking for the confirmation of one of those. A true question, one that's coming from the heart, is just curious. It's just asking something with absolutely no idea what the response might be, but is curious, absolutely interested in what might come. So if I was to ask you right now, does anybody have a true question? How many of you in your head just now asked, do I? That's a true question. It has no set answer. I have a question. Yes. Um, what senses physiologically or perception or whatever, what senses got heightened when the voice went away? Not so much a sense, but patience. Which, when I say patience, I mean the ability of creating space. When you're not filling that space with words, not filling that space with what a friend who's in this room right now called the upgrade game, absolutely love that. It simply means that you're, you're looking for what's the next step, what's the next step instead of what's right now, what's actually happening in this moment. When you allow and invite into a space, then all the senses get heightened. That's what being silent has done. I have no idea what that is, <laughs> but I have a feeling it's birthday cake. <laughs> yes, there is the heart. It is a child. That is what the heart is. When you look around, especially with the young kids we have here in Ubud and, and anywhere in the world, there is a curiosity there that has no bounds especially their parents. <laughs> the parents, no, no. <laughs> and that's beautiful. <laughs> See, there's laughter everywhere. I love it. <laughs> Acceptance is probably another thing. The senses are just the five senses, so I'm not really focusing on those because we often say that you shut off one sense and the rest heighten. I don't think that's what's happening. I think you shut off one sense and you open the potential for other things, for awareness, for patience, for acceptance, for surrender. That's a big one.
I can't tell you how many times I've been in a conversation, somebody said something, I was like, oh, I've got such a good joke for that. Mm. Surrender. Let it go. Or other times where I've typed out like an entire dissertation, and when I'm ready to present it, they've moved on in the conversation, I'm like, <laughs> delete. <laughs> And it's okay because I get to realize in those moments, oh, that wasn't that important. I also get to look deeper, and this is where it gets really juicy. When you start to notice where you've been distracted, where you've let your mind be mandating and, and directing what it is you're doing, rather than your heart, you start noticing that there's something behind the mind that's also doing that. And it's usually an emotion, a feeling, some sense of lack. Something where you thought there was a missing element. And so your mind, because your mind's a servant to you, it's not your master. Your mind is sitting there going, oh, he feels like he's missing something. Let me look. Uh, is it there? Is it there? Is it over there? No. So. Whenever these little things would happen, like maybe I didn't get to express something, or, or maybe this was actually the one that really normally triggered me, is if people would come and tell me what they thought I should be practicing, how I should be practicing, and this little thing would be like, when was the last time you practiced a, a year of silence? <laughs> hmm? <laughs> and I had to look at that and be like, okay, why does that anger me? And you go deeper and you start to do this introspection, and you're, oh, because I want to feel like what I'm doing has purpose. And then I have to look even deeper. Does it have purpose? Is it a purpose for somebody else or is it a purpose for me? Where is the purpose? Why is the purpose? Ooh, that's a good word right there. Why? We often focus on what and how. And for any of you who, who are entrepreneurs or even if you just you're working as a service anywhere else, whatever you do, you have a purpose, you have a vision, you have something you want to be giving to the world, sharing that's yours. And normally what stops us from doing that is that we're focused on the what and the how. And so we have this feeling and it's like, I want to go and hug everybody. I feel so good when I do that. I do, really. And we go, what? And we go, okay, well, hugging. And then the mind goes, okay, well, there's a lot of stuff around that. Like, people might not receive it, or, you know, how do I approach? And that's the how. Maybe I hold up a sign, free hugs. Maybe I put up a website that says free hugs online, and I just have me up there going, <laughs> you know, all this ridiculous stuff that we start to imagine, and then we take no action. And instead, we do some task, daily task to keep ourselves busy with this idea that, okay, I'm moving towards what my vision is. I'm moving towards what my passion is and my purpose. I just have to get this and 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 then maybe this will be here done before I get there. Something I used to ask my students back in San Diego, when I was in college I was a religious studies assistant, teacher's assistant. And so I would do these big review sessions, and we'd have like 300 plus people in there. And before I would start the review session, I would ask them this. I'd say, why are you here? 
most would answer, well, to do well on the exam. Oh, okay. Why do you want to do well on the exam? So that we pass the class with a good grade. Okay, why do you want a good grade? So we get a good job. Why do you want a good job? So we make a lot of money. Why do you want a lot of money? So that we can eventually retire, have a lot of money, and do the things we love. Uh, what do you love? Oh, just chilling with my friends, going surfing, hanging out. If you weren't here at this review session right now, what would you be doing? I'd be chilling with my friends, hanging out. Take the shortcut, people. All this other stuff is fluff. All this other stuff is just there because the mind, the mind is actually, I'm going to keep referring to this, that the mind is not an enemy. Nothing is an enemy. Everything has a purpose and a reason. The mind is trying to help you because you feel like something's missing. And so it's looking for it for you. So the first thing I'm going to say and, and offer and invite you to do to drop into that beginner's heart is to realize that you are abundant within yourself. And here's how I'll prove it. When you are looking for that thing, maybe it's through a relationship. And then you get that relationship, and at first you're like, oh, yes, this is what I've been looking for all my life. It's wonderful, beautiful. And you feel so fulfilled. So you recognized something. And then maybe it leaves, and you realize that it's gone, and you feel that despair and that sadness and depression, and you go, oh, something's gone. Again, you recognized something. If you can recognize it, it means that you have it. Otherwise, you can't recognize it. Have you guys ever heard of the, the historical idea that when Columbus came to the States and they were on the boats that the Indians couldn't actually see the ships because they, they didn't know what a ship was. They'd never seen one. It wasn't in their paradigm. So they didn't even see it. That's the same thing with everything else. If it's never been something that you had, have, and always have within you, you can't recognize it. So when you go out looking with your mind for these things to fulfill your heart, your being, yourself, every time that you recognize it outside of you, it's because it's inside of you. Does that make sense? Every time that you recognize something outside of you, it's because it's inside of you. One of the beautiful things about when you drop in, when you feel, when you let the barriers and the boundaries and the walls that we build up because we, we think, well, I need to get a better perspective. And this, you know, it's funny. People think that we build walls to separate ourselves, but ultimately, deep inside, nobody wants to be separate. Even if it's for protection, you don't want to be separate. And so what I believe we really are doing when we build walls is we're trying to create a way to get a better perspective from a safe space. <laughs> Yet, when you do that, your perspective is warped because you're not seeing it from the same level as whatever you're looking at. That comes back to what I mean when it's a resonance in the heart. There's a term called sympathetic resonance. It's when you take, does anybody know this, sympathetic resonance? Cool. It's, if you take two violins or anything that, that vibrates at similar frequencies, let's say you take two violins and you start playing a chord on one, 
you start to play a certain frequency there, it automatically starts to play on the other. This is how our hearts work. This is how our souls work, our spirit. I remember my first year here in Bali, I've been here for about three years now, that I was talking with this woman who actually her job is to just go around and spread love. <laughs> it was great. That's what her, her card said. It said, love. I was like, <laughs> And as I sat there talking with her, once I got past the mental stuff, which was, wow, she's really attractive. I wonder if I have a chance. Uh, how long is she here for? All that distraction. <laughs> Once I got past that, and I was actually just present to her and thinking, wow, she's touching something inside of me that is just with her words, just with her presence, just with the way that she's looking at me right now. And it has nothing to do with anything she's giving me. What she's doing is being an example of a vibration, of a frequency, and I'm feeling it in myself. Sympathetic resonance. I remember in that moment I thought, this is what love, when we say we fall in love, this is what it is. It's the connection of the vibration, not the objects. When I say objects, I mean whether it be an inanimate object or another person. That's not what's really important. Those are expressions. They will come and go. If you give importance to that, like utter importance, attachment happens, disappointment happens, depression happens, all sorts of other stuff, or absolutely enjoy if things move fluidly together. But the point is that to be equanimous, to not, let's say you're, if you're surfing, to not fight the wave, move with it. And so, I confused myself on that. Did I confuse you guys? No. Oh, good. <laughs> Let me drop in for a moment. Go ahead and do it with me. Close your eyes. Drop in and take a, a deep breath in. Exhale. The next breath in, follow it in. And find where the inhale touches the exhale. There, that seed, that place of inspiration. Let that start to grow within you. Let that start to rise as an energy, as a vibration, as an expression. Maybe it comes up over the shoulders. Maybe it catches the corners of the lips and it moves upward and outward with those lips. I like to call this a smile. And the beautiful thing about it, it's an ancient practice. The beautiful thing about it is if you take this practice and now open your eyes and look around, you're in the beginner's heart. And you'll notice that when you look around practicing this, you can't help but smile wider. It grows. And that's what happens when you're here. It becomes exponential. It becomes something that is overflowing. That's why there's gratitude there. Here's a funny story for you.
So, uh, maybe four or five years ago, before I came to Bali, I had been asked from San Diego, somebody saw me talk, and they asked me to come and join their group in Utah giving these workshops. And they were very similar to landmark workshops, if anybody's done that. And I wasn't very sure about it because I, I knew Landmark's reputation and it's a very gestalt, aggressive, like they're not going to let you get away <laughs> methodology, which is actually good in some senses. It doesn't let you escape your own excuses, lets you go deep inside. And at first I said, no, 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 thank you. And, and they were like, no, please, you know, we want you to come out. We want you to become a teacher, this and that. And I said, okay, well, what's the price? Because I know there's some, well, there's some, you know, strings attached. And, no, we'll pay for everything. We'll give you a house, a car, all this. Like, oh, well, well, all right. <laughs> so I went. And over about five months, they were training me. I was going through their program and at the same time facilitating their lower level um, workshops. And I remember at one point about excuse me, halfway in, I was in the house of the guy who was sponsoring me. And mind you, by this point, he had spent easily more than two, three thousand dollars on me just because he believed in what was going on there. He even got me an Armani suit, a thousand dollar Armani suit. I wore it once and then I don't know what happened. <laughs> feel kind of bad about that one. I still have the shoes. Um, so, we sat down, we were in his kitchen, and he says to me, turns, and he goes, hey, I want to ask you a question. How do you feel about patrons? And in my mind, I was jumping for joy. I was like, yeah, I just hit the jackpot. He wants to be my patron. He's going to pay for everything. I'm going to get to just share my message. Yes. And so I told him, I said, that's funny you ask. I was just talking to a friend about that. And we were saying how, you know, that the idea of the Renaissance where people had patrons, the artists had patrons, you know, that it's, it's, it's due again. And he looks at me and goes, oh, because my opinion is that it's the worst possible thing. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and what he told me next is what ties into this idea of gratitude. He said, I want you to be really clear that everything I have given you was not a gift. It was gratitude. Because what you shared in the first talk that I saw you in gave me so much that I was able to give you the next gift. It's like a cup overflowing. And then I invited you to come and then you gave even more value and more of who you are, your authenticity, your expression, your heart. And that gave me gratitude again and I could continue to give to you. I have never once given you anything as just a gift or because you were entitled. Because nobody is entitled to that which other people might give to them. You are entitled to everything that who you are. And you have everything within you. Notice the distinction there. You do have an entitlement to be you and to recognize everything that you are. But don't take that externally because you will create expectation. And at least speaking from my own personal experience with it and my own personal triggers around it, expectation 
closes the door on that space we were talking about earlier. The moment somebody expects something of you, they just robbed you of the chance to give it. Do you get that? I know a number of times, especially with my family, because there's a, you know, families, they always trigger you. I have a wonderful relationship with my family. Like I said, I Skyped with them this morning with tears. Often, when we'd be out to dinner, I would have this thought, and I'd go, oh, I want to buy everyone dinner. I'm going to buy everyone dinner tonight. And then, at the end of the night, maybe because my mom was picking up the thoughts or something, she's very psychic, she'd be like, oh, so you're going to pick up the tap? And immediately I'd shut down, no! How dare you think that I would just pay for everything? The moments before, I was thinking, I want to pay for everything. <laughs> Nothing changed but the expectation. So, another invitation to come into the beginner's heart is make sure that you know you don't need anything from anybody else. That'll keep you from expecting it. When I was probably about 19, 20, something like that, I had my first big, big epiphany. And I was on the phone with my sister, and at the time we were having a very heated argument. And I remember it was because I had been coming to my mom's to visit, and every time I would come over, I didn't feel like myself. I felt like I was being inauthentic. I felt pigeonholed into the role of son and brother. And so I told them, I said, look, I don't feel like I get to be me when I'm here. So my sister and I were having this conversation on the phone a few weeks after I'd made that statement. And she asked again on the phone, she goes, so do you feel like you're being more yourself now? No. <laughs> she was like, well, why? And she got very frustrated immediately. And I don't know what happened. I don't know if it was because of the line of questioning, because of, of just the fact that I was really genuinely interested to find myself, and I was asking true questions about it, that something shifted. And all of a sudden, in that moment, in that instance of being on the phone, my sister's yelling at me, somewhat in tears, and I went from kind of being like this to going, huh. And I had this big, silly grin on my face that I couldn't wipe away. My sister's yelling at me and I'm like, uh-huh, yeah. And what happened was, it was like I had broken through the surface of a river that I'd been drowning in all my life. And that river, I'm going to say, is the distractions of the mind, the conditioning that we have, and all the stuff that we do to try to connect externally before knowing where we're connecting from. And eventually my sister asked me, because she, she could tell something had shifted. She was very good at that. She said, what's going on? I said, I don't know, but I think I just realized why I haven't been feeling like myself and why I feel that if you knew who I really am, that you and mom and dad and, and probably most of my circle would be offended. So why? Are you really rude and mean? And Cruel? No, 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 no. I, I don't need you. I just don't need you. She hung up. 
called back a few moments later and she said, are you saying you don't love us? And I was still on this kick. I was like not in my body. I was beside myself watching stuff happen. And she, she said, are you saying you don't love us? And I said, well, do you mean do I love you because you're my sister and that's the role and we're supposed to? No. Do I love you because it's just this permanent river flowing all the time? Yes. She hung up again. <laughs> And I get a phone call, another one, it's my mom. And I'm like, oh God. She goes, what's going on? Your sister says you don't love us, why? <laughs> my mom's gonna watch this video later and be like, that's not what I sound like. <laughs> and I told her, I said, mom, I, I don't know what's going on, but all I can tell you right now is that I can't wipe the smile from my face, I can't clear the joy from my body, from my being, and nothing that I'm saying makes sense, but it feels so right. And she astounded me with her answer. She paused for a moment, she said, I don't really understand, but I'm so happy for you. Oh. Mm-hmm. Do you know why she was able to respond from that place? It is a mom thing. She was in her heart. She didn't call me to combat and to find out what it was that I was doing against what her questions, or my sister's questions, had already come up with answers for. She was calling me with curiosity. She really wanted to know, what's going on with my son? <laughs> Is there something I can do for him, not from him? That's the other big part of the beginner's heart. In one of the videos that I released before this talk, I gave three talks before I went silent and I put them online for, for everyone to kind of warm up. <laughs> one of those videos I talk about love and I say how love isn't something that you can exchange. It's not something that's given and taken or received or you can't do that with love. You can do it with expressions of love. Love itself though, the only thing you can do is recognize it. Because love is that resonance. Remember what I said earlier about that violin vibrating? Imagine taking an organ out and giving it to somebody. That's not we think we're doing this all the time. Why do you think heartbreak is so breaking? <laughs> but you're not. You're just giving expressions. And my mom was able to come to me without the expressions, but just with love, with the space of a beginner's heart. I want to share one other story about my mom because, well, Quite frankly, she's been one of the biggest inspirations, both directly and indirectly, for me. And given it's my birthday, I owe her a lot. <laughs> Life. <laughs> when, when I was away at the military and in Iraq, I was gone for about three months in country. And because of the level of security I had, I had top secret clearance. Where I was, where I went, and how long I was there was absolutely unknown to everybody, including myself, until I got there. 
And so all I could tell my family and my friends before I left was, when you stop hearing from me, it's because I'm there. When you start hearing from me, it's because I'm back. You can't imagine the torture that puts on a family. And I couldn't either until I came back. When I did finally come back, I landed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and I contacted my family, and of course they were relieved. And, <clears throat> see it already gets me. <laughs> when I called my mom to tell her, well, I had set up an arrangement to go back home, because I was in North Carolina, I lived in California, to go, go back home for a couple weeks, do a couple errands and fix a few things, and to go see my home, my family. But I didn't want to tell them, I wanted to surprise them. And so I call my mom up and I say, hey, um, they're sending me on one more mission. It's not dangerous though, don't worry. It'll just be for a week or so. And it's just a drop off, pick up, and, and that's it. And it's because I wanted her to kind of be prepared to not hear from me from North Carolina while I was in transit. And I wanted to surprise her. And so I get to San Diego, straight from the airport, I take the buses and the trolleys and I go straight to her work. And I walk in and I go to the reception desk and I say, hi, I'm Rodolfo Young, I'm Maria Young's son. Um, can you tell her that she has a package she needs to come down and sign for? <laughs> so the receptionist, like with this big gleeful smile, because she knows kind of the backstory, she goes, hey, okay. So she calls my mom up and she tells her perfect straight face and, and I hear my mom over the intercom, well, just sign for it yourself. Why, why do you make me come down? <laughs> so the receptionist convinced her. So she comes down and here's where, where it hits the heart. She turns the corner. She had some stuff in her hands. She turns the corner. She sees me. She literally drops to her knees. And when she does, this is what happens to me also. Because in that moment, she didn't have to say anything. She was resonating it so powerfully, so beautifully from her heart of, I have missed you. I have worried. And I love you. And it was in that moment that I first realized the impact of me being gone, the unknown had had. The beginner's heart is more than just curious, surrender, gratitude. It is space to allow that edge of emotion. It's the surrender of what is already there, wanting to just get expressed without the mind getting in the way, going, oh no, you're in the public eye, you can't do that or do this or say that or, no, that's stupid mind stuff. I have a saying in both my philosophy, my coaching, my services, and it's that authenticity is your most attractive quality. Authenticity is your most attractive quality. And what that means is that when you can Take away all the stuff your mind is saying I should show up as. And you show up in the moment as you are, who you are. And you have to know who you are. 
because you're normally more than you think. When you do that, people can't resist you. That's the other question that relates to the previous question about me being in silence and people asking me how am I doing with, with girls. <laughs> A lot of the men in town see me sitting in Clear Cafe and one woman after another comes and gives me a hug. <laughs> they don't notice that the men are doing it also. And what they're missing is that it's not something I'm doing. It's something I'm opening and allowing. Because I'm being authentic. I'm just being who I am. The words aren't getting in the way anymore. So I'm getting to express just from here. And what that does is it invites a safe space for others to join you. That's why it's your most attractive quality. Yes, Mo. Does having nothing to say mean that you have nothing to do? Mm, very good question. And for those who didn't hear it, he said, if, is having nothing to say mean you have nothing to prove. What's coming through on that is that you never have anything to prove. Yet, in this world, this society, we're trying to build stuff, especially if it's a business, we need credit, right? And credit is what goes into this proof thing. And the reason that it never is satiated, you can never fully prove yourself to another, is because, let's say I'm trying to prove to you that I'm an amazing pilot. I have no idea how to fly a plane. Okay. And so I'm here and I could put the most straight poker face on and be like, I can fly from here to Tahiti. Somewhere inside of you, because you're not just listening to my words, but you're reading my energy, is going, I don't know about that. <laughs> this is actually a huge thing for anybody that's marketing their business. My, one of my other jobs, businesses, is a lot of online marketing. Is if you're not authentic, if you're trying to prove something that's not actually aligned in integrity with who you really are, people will smell it from a mile away and they won't trust you. This is probably one of the biggest lessons that I had last year and partly a reason why I went into my silence. Last year, I think for everybody, was, was a pretty tumultuous roller coaster of a time. <laughs> Am I right? Yeah. yeah. Well, <clears throat> I had a lot of stuff happen to me and I'm going to share something that I've not shared publicly in a long time and I had to even check in with with the person related in this to make sure it was okay. This is really vulnerable. So, it was actually probably earlier than last year, it was the year before, when I was giving my TEDx talk. I was in a relationship, beautiful relationship, and I was full heart in that. I'd just been given this opportunity to give a TEDx talk wow, like my public speaking career was going to launch. And 
I just landed a gig helping to create a website in this whole social media campaign for something that could completely revolutionize Bali and and it partly did and then I got one more piece of information that just put me over the top of ecstasy and it was that I was going to be a father I didn't know at the time that I wanted that but when I found out it was like that time with my sister on the phone I couldn't wipe the smile away and so I was at the height like the pinnacle the climax of, of everything and I thought wow life is amazing about three months later the TEDx talk went well I didn't really get much of the follow-up that I'd hoped for the big campaign completely crashed to politics and internal conflicts and we lost the baby a few months after that lost the partner and above all I lost my confidence and my safety and so my heart that beginner's heart was covered in I can't tell you how many layers At the time, my mom had actually come over, and she was there the night when I found out. And I remember coming down the stairs, and she could tell just from looking at me. And she offered a hug, and here was the interesting thing. At that moment, even though a hug was the thing I wanted most, I had so much anger, so much frustration, so much against the world because I thought something had been taken that I pushed her away here's the thing no matter what happens in your life no matter what trauma no matter what loss no matter what challenge that seems like you won't be able to get over it it has a purpose it has a lesson and here's the big one it has an opportunity an invitation because you see had I in that moment been able to drop all of this other stuff that had accumulated and embrace my mom or embrace anybody that could hold me in that moment I would have realized that my heart was still full that only an expression had been lost and that's not to say anything to diminish what happened because trust me it's still core it's raw but what's been more important in learning from that comes to your question Mo about proving the reason I was angry the reason that a lot of the stuff happened with the social media campaign and everything else that then kind of just collapsed is because I was so wrapped up in an egoic thought of the mind that said I'm failing at proving who I can be 
I have failed to prove that I can be a father. I have failed to prove that I can be an entrepreneur. I have failed to prove that I'm here to do a difference. And because I got stuck in that line of thinking, and I started going out and just trying to prove, trying to prove, trying to prove, that's actually what made me lose my partner. Because what she saw in me was, you have nothing to prove. You're amazing as you are. But you trying to prove it is pushing everyone away. Does that hit somewhere inside of you guys? Can you relate? So, here's the invitation, the suggestion. Don't try to prove anything. You don't have to. I can unequivocally say to you, from my own personal experience, from what I've seen in those in the room and everybody that I've ever come in contact with, who you are is enough and more. You don't have to prove anything. When you're trying to prove, it's normally because you're trying to, out of comparison, be somebody else. But that's their part. That's what they are doing in the moment. That's the balance they are playing. You have a different one. Be your balance. Be your purpose, your vision, your passion. I'll tell you guys a little hidden secret about the talk today. First, thank you so much again for being here, for letting me share with you so vulnerably. It really does mean a lot. Here's this hidden agenda. As I've dropped more and more into my beginner's heart, the more and more that I've cleared challenges, uh, distractions, is the more that I've realized that I have my own purpose. I have a passion. I have a very strong vision. And where I saw it most clearly was when sitting and listening to musicians playing their hearts out. When watching educators teaching because they absolutely care for the students. It's when I saw other people doing what they truly believed in as a service. When they were living their passion. And again, coming back to that idea of proving. When I dropped in and I looked at, okay, this is a big one. I'm trying to look and prove and where is it that I have forgotten myself? And so I looked to see what was actually being triggered. And what was being triggered was a sense of not being respected. Because that's often where we feel it, is we start trying to prove because we think that the other person's not respecting us. You know, maybe it's in a new group or something like that, and you're thinking, oh, they won't respect me unless I prove myself. Hmm. And so this respect, this is what I started to notice was a, a continual pattern for me where I wasn't feeling other people fully respecting me. That was all in my mind because whenever I would actually ask somebody directly, they'd be like, are you kidding? Like you inspire, you do this, you do that. And that's the funny thing, is we cloud ourselves with our own self-judgments. So I asked myself, okay, it's not about them not respecting me. 
do I respect me? And the immediate answer was no. Why? Because I knew I wasn't living to my potential. I knew that I was hiding. I knew that I was playing small. I knew that I was distracting myself. It wasn't that I needed to prove I could make a difference. It was I needed to make a difference and stop going and doing all these detours and all this other stuff. Just do it. Because you can. You have the potential. And so here's hidden agenda. When I realized what my vision is, what my purpose is, I set a mission statement for 2013, and it's to inspire 100,000 people to live lives of purpose and passion. This year, and then it goes up next year. And I want you guys to be part of that. Whether it be just because you're here at this talk right now and you leave with something that gets to move you to be more yourself. Whether it be because you go outside and scan the cool little QR code on my poster outside and start receiving some of my articles. Or if it's just because you get a hug from me later. Whatever it is that I can do to hold the presence, to be here for you, to be you. That's really why I called you all here tonight. So I hope you forgive me. I want to inspire you. Not with what I say, not with what I do, but by touching the place inside of you that knows already how amazing you are. Show of hands, who knows how amazing they are? Yes! Both hands! <laughs> I love it. Hmm. So that is the meat and potatoes of what I have for you today. <laughs> I'm open to questions for a good while and we'll just let it continue to flow. Yes? Um, first of all, I just want to thank you for, for doing this for everybody and for providing this for us. It was a little daunting only because before coming, I, I'm used to in my public speaking winging it. But this time I was winging it from a different place, not from here. Normally I wing it because I have a collection of stories and ideas and topics and I, can, I know how to work the crowd. This time it was, okay, I'm just going to stand in front of them. I'm going to drop into my heart and I'm going to see what happens. That was scary. <laughs> but I think it worked out well. Yeah. Yes. Writing a lot about the chakra system mm -hmm. lately, so I feel like I'm interfacing with the world through the psychology. And anyway, so uh, I'm wondering how your ability to listen has shifted and your creative expression has shifted mm -hmm. in the past six months. And if you're familiar with the system of the chakras, what other energy do you have awakened? 
Yeah. Mostly heart chakra, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Care Bear staring, everybody. <laughs> um, one of my intentions was to open up a lot more of the third eye to get the intuition coming in. And what I started to realize is that even though I was focusing here, or as long as I was focusing here to do that, it wasn't happening. And then when I dropped into here, I was like, whoa. Because <laughs> it might receive here, but I think it gets expressed and interpreted and, and shown here. Um, what was the other part of your question? There was a first part to it. Ah, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm like a fly on the wall. <laughs> I know about all of your lives. <laughs> Being silent doesn't make me deaf. <laughs> no, um... <laughs> no, nobody's going to talk around me. Um, <laughs> now, going silent, what it's actually done is because I'm no longer involved in what I'm going to say back, I get to be really, really attentive. Really attentive. And interested. You know? I take every opportunity when somebody comes up to me to start chatting, and it's like, I get comfortable. I'm like, oh, okay. What are we going to get today? And I've gotten the most beautiful, vulnerable stories and expression and you know, people coming, whether they come because they, they want some coaching or advice on something or just because they want to tell me about their day, whether it was good or bad, whatever it is, oh, to listen from this place, so beautiful because it doesn't matter what they're saying, I get to start resonating. <laughs> Quick little side note on that, one thing that I have really come attuned to the masculine and the feminine energies within. What I've realized, I'm just going to throw this out there, check in to see if it works for you. The masculine, often in the mind, looking for plans, looking for structure, looking for ways of understanding how something is, and normally looking for solutions. The feminine energy, looking to express, to be, to love, to hold, to nurture. And so what I would find with myself is that if I had something come up, a challenge or a trigger or something like that, and, and then I'd go to a friend to talk about it, my masculine side had already figured it out. It was like, oh, yeah, it's because of this and that trigger, okay, whatever. But my feminine side was like, oh, I want to be heard. <laughs> I want somebody to hear this, please. And so I'd go to a friend and I'd start talking to him and they'd start coming back to me with the masculine side to solve the problem. I'd be like, no! I'm done with that. Stop patronizing me. I want to just express. So a big thing that I realized that has to do with listening is know what somebody's coming to you with. Do they want a solution or do they just want to be heard? You can either ask or you can just feel it. Drop in with them. I'm curious, are those what is it that made you decide to go back to your side? Uh, a couple of things. One, the original intention was for a year. So this was always just a brief interlude. 
um, which really only happened because I had this very strong feeling I wanted to share. And like I said, I didn't know what it was going to be until I came <laughs> today. Um, the other part of it is that I've really enjoyed silence. It's gotten me out of a lot of sticky situations. <laughs> by that, I don't just mean by you know, not putting my foot in my mouth, but it means that I've not had to entertain idle chatter, which is a waste of energy. There is a difference, because of what I just said earlier, between listening to idle chatter that's because somebody needs to vent and be heard, and just idle chatter that's there because somebody's uncomfortable. Because if they're uncomfortable, it's again back to they feel they're missing something. So rather than letting them continue to deflect what it is that's really going on, what I'll often do is I'll just bring all my attention to what do they think they're missing? Let me give it to them. Not give it to them like, I'm going to take it from me, but let me show them it's there. You're not missing it. It's right, right there. Look. Maybe it's that they feel unacknowledged. And it's just acknowledging. Things like that. So I'll be going back to silence deeper, deeper this time without the iPad because even though with the iPad I still got to create that space to observe what was going on for myself, it robbed me of a little bit of just being in the heart. It gave me a convenience that got out of hand after a while. And so, I'm a man of um, self-infliction, I guess. I'm going to take that away so that I can go deeper, so I can connect deeper. And actually, a big reason, I get to tell you a story, one of my favorite stories with this. So there was a guru in India, and one day he's up there on his little cushion, and this devotee, this woman comes up to him, you may have heard this story, this woman comes up to him with her son, and she's, oh Guruji, please, tell my son to stop eating sweets. And the Guru says, yes, yes, of course. Come, come boy, come. No, come tomorrow, come tomorrow. So the woman leaves, very happy, so she knows, oh, he's going to tell my son tomorrow. So the next day she comes very excited, oh, please Guruji, tell him, tell him. Yes, yes, yes. No, no, come in two days. Two days later, she comes again, same story. He keeps stalling, and three months go by. Finally, she comes, she brings him forth. Guruji, please, would you tell him? And he says to the boy, he goes, boy, stop eating sweets. Okay, go. Done. The woman leaves happy, the boy's happy, Guru's happy. His apprentice, who's been watching the whole thing for three months, is perplexed. And he looks at me and goes, Guru, I, you could have told this boy this three months ago. Why did you wait? And he looks at him and goes, three months ago, I still like to eat sweets. <laughs> Gotta walk your talk. Or for me, walk my non-talk. <laughs> yeah. Curious to know 
you're, you've said a lot about how your interactions have become more authentic, more heart. Um, how about loneliness? How has how has that come and gone throughout this last six months? Mm-hmm. Um, at the beginning, there was little phases where I would feel, and it's actually funny, it'd be only in moments where, because of my silence, if I was in a group, everybody would kind of energetically, not even physically, shift the conversation where I wasn't included. And it wasn't on purpose. It just was happening partly from their discomfort, my discomfort. I hadn't really figured out how to socialize yet. And yeah, in those moments, I got a ping of like, oh, I don't belong. Um, as time progressed, that went away, and actually, especially after my 21-day fast, the 21-day fast in, in uh, December, I didn't want to be immersed as much anymore. And actually, I, at this point, I really enjoy my alone time. At the same time, I love hugs, so I, I come out. <laughs> yeah. So loneliness hasn't really been a huge factor, this time around at least. Um, I remember in my youth, I used to, because I'm a very social person, in my youth I used to go out, I'd socialize, I'd be you know, the butterfly, be like, ah, 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 ah. then I'd go home and be like, <laughs> and it was because I wasn't being authentic. And I think that's, again, it comes back to, you know, loneliness happens never by yourself. Do you guys get that? You are never lonely when you're alone. You're lonely when you are amongst people or in the situation where you could be amongst people. That's when you feel lonely because there's a sense of separation. And so it comes down to this idea of connection and authenticity. Can you, when you're with other people, present yourself? You. Because if you do that, there's no separation. If you do that, they can connect immediately. And loneliness doesn't have any space in it. You talk about um, finding your purpose uh, in your life. Um, how did that happen for you? Because I'm sort of looking for mine. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because throughout our lives, at least this is what happened for me, we're being told what our purpose is all the time. Just normally we're like, oh, no, 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 I, I couldn't do that. Well, that maybe later. Or we put all these excuses in place. And then when it finally does hit you, you're like, oh, yeah, that's what I was thinking like three years ago. And that's what I was, th- five years ago. And that like seven years ago, that's what came up. Why do I keep getting distracted? <laughs> and that's the key word right there is distraction. It's not that you don't know what your purpose is. I like to think of it like um, there's a, a saying in Taoism of Bo, which means the uncarved block. And it's that if you have this big marble slab, the sculptor doesn't come and create something. The sculptor comes and carves away what's unnecessary to reveal the beauty that's already there. Your purpose, your vision, your passion's already there. You just have layers of distraction and excuse on top of it. It can be stuff from not feeling like you have enough skill to do what it is you're passionate about. Lack of clarity, lack of money, um, 
There's been ones where it's uh, feeling like you're not living up to an expectation, um, lack of education, all sorts of different things that normally have to do with the mind's thought that you're not ready. I'm telling you right now, you're ready. You've been ready since you were born. It's your purpose. I, I want you guys to wake up to who you are. One of my greatest frustrations is when I see somebody that I can, I look right through them and I'll be like, wow, this person could change the world. And their posture is like this. Because they don't believe it. I want to change that. So I'm going to end with that. Thank you, everybody. I'm utterly grateful. And I'm open for hugs. <laughs>
we must first set our hearts right. Confucius. And now, hopefully a little clearer, it's time to introduce our next guest. Over to you, Lena, 